This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for ways for my son to get involved and give back in our local community. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, is also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org students. That's lls.org students. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast about how to take the abstract idea of happiness into the practice of our everyday lives. This week, we'll talk about why you might create a time capsule box, and we'll have a conversation with the brilliant and hilarious comedian, writer, actor, and podcaster Pete Holmes about his new memoir, Comedy Sex God. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who sometimes calls me her happiness bully. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And Gretch, I always say that loving. <laughs> <laughs> now, Elizabeth, um, here's an update before we jump in. Obviously, we often talk about the four tendencies framework. And uh, if you do not know your tendency, whether you're an upholder, a questioner, obliger, a mm-hmm. rebel, you can take the quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. I'll post a link to it. Um, But we talk about the four tendencies, and we talk about how obligers need outer accountability to meet inner expectations. Like, if an obliger wants to do something for themselves, they need outer accountability. And um, it's always fun to talk about the new and ingenious ways that obligers create accountability. Because often, it's not that it's hard, but you need imagination um, to think about how to create the outer accountability. And one of my favorite things is seeing how obligers do this, create that outer accountability. Yeah, and this one comes from Gabrielle, very creative. She says, I'm a classic obliger, and I'm always looking for ways to increase external accountability. I loved your tip about using my children as police. My seven-year-old son and five-year-old daughter would have a glowing future as mob enforcers (laughs) if that was still a viable career pathway, and they've loved calling me out when I don't stick to my habits. I still hadn't managed to break my potato chip habit, and I finally figured out I needed to escalate the accountability with some serious consequences. 
So I told the kids that if they catch me eating potato chips, they can draw or write whatever they want on my face in (laughs) Sharpie marker. They're still debating, but are currently leaning towards, I'm a stupid poo-poo head. I've now been clean (laughs) for two months. I work as a stakeholder engagement consultant, and the idea of standing in front of a public meeting with writing all over my face (laughs) has finally been enough to scare me straight. (laughs) So that is, uh, that's a new one. That's a new one. That's, that is, that's really, that's the big option. I mean, that is high stakes. Um, If you have worked with a Sharpie. humiliation. Yes, Sharpie is um, like they they are when they say permanent, they mean permanent. And I mean, and, and children mm-hmm. love to do this. I bet they get the biggest kick out of like r- racing around and sneaking up on her and trying to like find her and yes. catch her in the act. So um, it's fun for the whole family and no yes. potato chips. <laughs> That's a great suggestion. Thank you, Gabrielle. And this week, our Try This at Home tip comes from another listener, Clara. Um, it's to keep a memory time capsule. Uh, as a way to capture memories. You know, we talk a lot about um, the combined challenges of managing possessions, outer order, decision fatigue, memories. Um, This is uh, a really good strategy for tackling all those things. Yes. Clara says, years back when I was 15 years old, I heard about something that is called a memory time capsule. You take a box, preferably something sturdy and pretty, but small enough that you can lift it if it's filled up, maybe in your signature color. And this box is your personal memory time capsule. You can store things there that have sentimental value for you. Could be anything, your first drawing, your first article, basically anything you can imagine that comfortably fits the box. Or you could take a picture of the sentimental place, object, or friend group and store inside your box. There is one rule. It can only be this one box. I've had my memory capsule for eight years now, and whenever I put something in there or I move, I go through it, and it gives me immense joy. The thing is, you can also take things out again. So some things have no value for me after some years, so I just take them out. You could also start a memory capsule with your kids. They can decide what they want to keep whenever you declutter, but it has to fit their box. But let them decide. If something has sentimental value for you, keep it in your box. This capsule is why decluttering doesn't feel quite as scary to me, and the box gives me joy every time I go through it. I'm an obliger, by the way, so the thought of keeping something also for others to remember me and not at the same time burdening them with a lot of stuff keeps me going. Well, that's interesting that she's pointing to that because that it like because of having done the book tour for Outer Order, Inner Calm, and talking a lot about decluttering and sort of people inheriting other people's stuff. Um, That is truly a very thoughtful thing that you can do where you've already done that work of curation and you've sorted through it and got rid of all the things that don't have a lot of uh, like memory value because um, she's right. Having the discipline of a box that it has to fit in a, a limited space means that you have to make choices and you have to pick the best of something. You can't just hang on to everything. And that in the end saves you a lot of time and effort and saves other people a lot of time and effort too. Yeah. I mean, usually a time capsule you think of as just like one moment in time, Um, you know, like a school berries uh, time capsule under their lawn to capture 1974 or whatever. Um, But I like this idea that a time capsule can cover more than one year because sort of each memento is its own time capsule. And that's why she says if it loses meaning, you can then take it out because if it doesn't, um, evoke 
memories of a certain time, then it loses its importance. Right. Like, or there's something that, yeah, at the time seemed like a big deal, but then you're like, yeah, I don't need that. Um, now, I have some boxes that are very much like this. We call them memorandum boxes. I don't know why they mm. got that name. <laughs> and they're big plaster containers that I bought at the container store. They go in the bottom of their closet and it's just like this. It's, for them, basically, it's, it's their school years. I would say it's, it's mm-hmm. babyhood through 12th grade. And by that time, by 12th grade, Eliza's is, is full. So it's maybe it's a time capsule of, like, childhood. And um, I, I actually made a when I, I, I write about these in my book, Happier at Home, and I did a, a video, a behind-the-scenes video, where I show that. So mm-hmm. I'll post a link where you can see if you want to see what this looks like. But I, but I think she's exactly right. You have to make choices and um, some things come out because they're just not worth the space they take up to make room for other things. And then you have this like really saturated, high emotion, like every single thing in it. You're like, oh, look at that. It's mm-hmm. the little Candyland shoes. Oh, or, you know, um, or look, there's your certificate for the, you know, you went to Knowles and this is what you got. You know, here's your plastic bowl that you used in Knowles every single day. And it's like really, you know, f- brings back a flood of memories. Yeah, I mean, my question is, you know, how big is the box? Like, you could have a shoe box. You could have the box you're talking about is pretty big. Yeah. Um, so that's what everyone has to decide for themselves. How big of a box do they want to commit? Well, I think she's right to say you want to be able to lift it by yourself because I think that I think things that you can't mm-hmm. move by yourself, like that that just feels far more inconvenient just in terms of moving it around. But I will say this. If you want a smaller box, I just had, the other day I was wandering around Columbus Circle because I was early for a meeting. And Moleskin, you know, the brand Moleskin, which I love, uh, has, uh, they had kind of like a little store in Columbus Circle. And they had this really good looking thing called a story box. They're in black and scarlet. They're large and medium. And what it does, it looks like a very large version of a Moleskin's classic notebook, but it's hard. But it has Mm. rounded corners um, and an elastic enclosure. And so if you have it on a shelf, it just looks like a box, Uh, like a book. It looks like a big oversized book, like a kind of like a big photo album or something. It's very attractive and you can put it on a shelf. But then if you take it off, it's really a box. You open it up and it's just an Mm, empty box. But if you want a smaller kind of time capsule, like one that you could put on a shelf. And I can imagine like for senior year in high school or something like that. Yeah, maybe it's that's own little it, capsule. its own little capsule. That's something that is very, it's very visually attractive. And it also, because it fits on a shelf, there's a lot of places you could put something that fits on a shelf. Or if you wanted to, you know, like maybe it was like you took a huge family trip and you're like, let's make a memory box of this trip. Um, yeah. It'd be good for something like that. One thing also I find, um, and this is something that like I thought a lot about with Outer Order, Inner Calm, is that, If you have an impulse to keep everything, and I think with stuff related to children, this comes up a lot. Like, I want to keep every costume that my children played in. Like, they all seem, I'm like, this one's so cute. And I remember when they wore this one. But if you pick the one that's really special, if I'm like, the one that's really special is the mermaid costume, that's the one that Eleanor wore every single day for like two years. If I know that I've safely kept the mermaid costume... I can let go of the other costumes because I'm like, I have the one that's most important. I don't have to keep everyone. But I think if you don't pick, don't consciously say, I am, I have a special place. So this thing will always be remembered and kept safe. Then you kind of feel like you have to hang on to everything. And so I think that something like this memory Mm -hmm. time capsule helps you let go of things as well as creating this cool box. Yes. And I also think it's good if you can to do it as you go. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Oh, that's so important. You know, we find ourselves saving like every piece of artwork from school and then never going through saying, oh, we'll go through and pick out the ones. It's like 
really, if you just decide on the spot, this is one to keep and then to make a habit of not keeping everything. Yes. Um, And knowing you can put it in the box and change your mind later. Yes. So it's not as if once it's in there, as she's saying, it has to be there forever. So I, I think that would be helpful right. for you, us. Like you could swap out. You're like, oh, this was such a cute project in kindergarten. But you're like, oh, but it's not nearly as cute as this one. And so then you swap yeah. it out. Yeah, that's that. But if you want to get out of the decision fatigue, you want to do it when it's like one little decision at a time, not like a giant right. six-hour project of decision-making, yes. which nobody ever wants to do and never does do. Um, so let us know if you try making a memory time capsule, what you put in it and how you how big it is and all that. Um, let us know. On, Send us photos. Let us, oh, yeah. see photos. Yes, photos, photos, photos. Um, let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or go to happiercast.com slash 227 for everything related to this episode. Okay, Gretch, um, you and I love our coffee. And coming up, we have a coffee-related happiness hack. But first, a spray. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. And now it's time for a happiness hack. Yes, and this comes from Tammy. She says... I just had to share this little happiness hack that has made my morning so much better. You always say, identify the problem. One little annoyance that I hated every morning was walking downstairs to the kitchen and pouring my coffee and then walking back upstairs with my coffee to get ready. 
It seems such a small thing that I barely noticed it was an annoyance. The coffee maker is in the kitchen after all. But as a working mom with a toddler, every moment in the morning is very valuable, and these were a few groggy minutes wasted every day trudging back and forth. I was walking through Target on my lunch hour one day and noticed a little coffee maker on sale for $20, and inspiration struck. Why not do what hotels do and put this little coffee maker in the bedroom? I immediately purchased a coffee maker and two blue and white coffee mugs to be used specifically in the master bedroom. I put the coffee maker, the mugs, along with some gold spoons on a silver tray stolen from our dining room (laughs) on our dresser and tucked some coffee supplies in an empty dresser drawer. Voila, for relatively little money, I had made our very own private coffee bar. Now I can just roll out of bed and pour my coffee. Plus, it feels downright luxurious to wake up to the smell of brewing coffee in the morning. And one unexpected bonus, my husband and I now take a few minutes chatting in bed with a cup of coffee before launching into the morning rush. That never would happen in the kitchen. Our morning cup of coffee now feels like a treat. Well, this is uh, this is identified the problem. And it's also like she solved a problem in a way that's actually... It's like the upside is even bigger than she imagined because something has turned into a luxury and it's also turned into this like really nice moment with her husband and she's eliminated an annoyance. And so this is like such a great solution. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't have a place in my bedroom where I could do that because I don't have shelf space. But if I did, I would be all over this one. Because, Gretch, um, you and I pick hotels based on whether or not they have a coffee maker in the room. <laughs> oh, my so gosh. We love having a coffee maker um, right in arm's reach. Oh, I know. It just even just knowing that it's there. It's, it's like even yes. if you, even if you're like on the, it's like the four a.m. Fl- like leaving for the airport, and I don't have. Uh, I'm just oh. like I just like knowing that the coffee is there. Um, yes. But this is such an elegant solution. I love that she was able to identify the problem and come up with something. Just like I can tackle this. Yes. Yeah, so good one. Good one, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. And now we're going to talk to Pete Holmes, who is joining us on his way to the airport in Denver. Pete Holmes is a comedian, actor, writer, producer, and podcaster. He does a million things. Um, So you may have watched his semi-autobiographical HBO show, Crashing. You may have listened to his podcast, uh, very popular, called You Made It Weird. You may have seen him perform in person in one of his sold-out shows or in his three-hour-long TV specials. And now, as if that is not enough, Pete Holmes has a new memoir. Yes, it's called Comedy Sex God, which is part autobiography, part philosophical inquiry, and part spiritual quest. He writes about grappling with his religious upbringing, the breakup of his early first marriage after his wife cheated on him, the development of his spiritual beliefs, and making his career as a stand-up comic. It covers a lot of ground. Yes. Welcome, Pete Holmes. Hi, Pete. Hi. So, Pete, uh, I am probably not the first one to point this out, but I have to say that when this occurred to me, I felt incredibly insightful because I noticed that, okay, the title of your memoir is Comedy Sex God, but I realized that if you could also describe the memoir as being about comedy, sex, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought you that— You really need to get—you got to get the audio book. To hear me say the title. Oh, good. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, we so, just read it. Yeah. Yeah, of course you did. It's a book. It, it was a huge, it wasn't a mistake. I mean, we knew what we were doing. 
we knew people would think that maybe I was saying that and maybe think it was funny. But if you read, you know, the book for five minutes, yes. you'll see that that is certainly not the case. I just, I love uh, comedy, which, or, and also just creativity. Uh, sex, obviously, is interesting to me, but that's just like a, a flashy word for love and r- romantic relationships and God uh, for the meaning of life. And, you know, even, even if you don't believe in God, we're all sort of stuck in this conundrum together. So that is a, a catch-all word for, for that. Yeah. So those are the three things that are the most interesting to me. And it's an unusual combination. I, I suppose it could be. I, I think you're, you're not used to seeing those words next to each other. But for me, sex and God definitely belong together, specifically because the way I was raised in the evangelical church, um, I, I wasn't like tempted to lie or cheat or steal or hurt people. I was a very kind of naturally ethical. I, I had a good sense of guilt and shame. But when you hit puberty... Um, you suddenly mm-hmm. you think there's something biologically wrong with you that is evil that God hates and is going to send you to hell for. So I wrote this book for people that might be former, formerly religious. They might still be religious, but a lot of a lot of people that are sort of found their way out of the church and and maybe that had a lot to do with that inherent shame feeling they they got when they were children. And I wanted to sort of solve that and, and heal that a little bit. Well, and Pete, you you're, you have such a religious background. It's not something we normally associate with stand-up comedians, but do you feel like that actually led you to comedy? Um, well, yeah, kind of. I, I think, you know, comedians, for the most part, are almost exclusively atheists. Um, I like to say that when I talk to them, and if, I, if we talk about the mystery, um, to quote my friend Rob Bell, we find out that neither of us believe in that God. The God that they don't believe in, I also don't believe in. So we often have more in common than, uh, than, than not, actually, which is pretty fun. I would say that the way that um, religion brought me to comedy was that it was a very nurturing and safe and loving community. So it's where I tried uh, stand-up for the first time. And at youth group and sometimes at church, I would... Uh, make jokes and get laughs and do silly songs or whatever it was. And that's what I loved about church. I loved I loved a lot of different things about church, but that was maybe the number one, was that everybody was so sweet that they uh, would listen to me and laugh and, and be kind. <laughs> and that's something that I'm still uh, grateful for. Um, so that that's important to me is that, like, the book isn't really... I think a lot of formerly religious people sort of get caught up in the deconstruction period. I know I did. I spent probably four or five years really deconstructing my faith and and talking about historical reasons or scientific reasons or this or that, why things don't make sense as they're talked about in the Bible or in other religions. And I think that's a a fine and necessary stage. But what's really important to me is the reconstruction. So this isn't like a bitter book. It's It's not a story of like, how I was duped by the church and what a fool I was. And it's about rescuing the baby from the bath, you know. It's about mm-hmm. finding some wisdom. And I know this, this podcast is about happiness. It's about finding a non-circumstantial joy. And I, I really think that's what spirituality is about, is when, when we're looking for happiness because we're eating ice cream, um, any, any great spiritual text between the lines will be saying, well, that, that's the human predicament. You're going to be eating ice cream and you're going to feel happy, but it's going to go away. 
and then you're gonna be, you're gonna want water, and then you're gonna want the bathroom, and then you're gonna be bored, and you're gonna watch TV. <laughs> so, so so many of us spend ourselves just Tarzaning from mind to mind, you know, of of momentary fleeting, really illusory nonsense happiness, and that's what we think happiness is. But what I what I talk about in the book is that for me, it's not about getting people to agree with me or to uh, believe what I believe in the words that I believe in. It's not about that at all. I'm saying by identifying with your spirit and getting in touch with your deeper uh, reality, that's where a non-circumstantial joy is waiting for everybody. And that's where peace is waiting for everybody. Um, So it's not about converting people. I'm trying to get people to feel that joy and that peace that I've discovered by kind of circling back to some of these religious traditions. Well, and it was interesting to me that in the book, you talk about how doing the second season of crashing is when you experience this malaise and what I don't maybe consider a spiritual yeah. crisis. And as I'm a television writer, so I relate to, you know, making a season of a show. And it's interesting to me that so many people in Hollywood, it's when we like get what we want, quote unquote, that's when this kind of malaise or depression sets in. Like, what do you think yeah. the connection is? Well, that's it. That was that was my ice cream, you know, on the mm. beach, mm. Uh, you know, especially in the in the West where we're told that, uh, you know, if you make a lot of money and if a lot of people like you, uh, this is going to give you like a deep sense of fulfillment. It's basically the meaning of life <laughs> in our society. Yeah. And, uh, and I heard a lot of people when I was growing up that would say like, you know, being rich or famous isn't the answer. And I always had the same attitude. I think most people have, which is like, I'll, I'd like to see for myself. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, if that's, if, if it's all the same, like, I don't want to take your word for it. <laughs> and there are things that like, you know, finding creative fulfillment does give me meaning. And, and knowing that my work means something to people does give me meaning. But it's not like, it's not the basement. It's not the deepest level of meaning. And there, there's this great um, Jim Carrey quote where he says, I wish everybody could have their, their dreams come true so they could see it's not the answer. Mm-hmm. And I used to read that, and I, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, the myth of the West and the story of the West is, is you know, go out and conquer and, and have everyone know your name and, and be impressive and all that stuff. But there, there I was getting exactly what I wanted second season of a show, feeling more and more uh, recognizable in the public and, and just feeling what I thought I was supposed to be feeling as, as what I want, right? And because I had, I had, before this, tasted some of these deeper fruits, some of these sweeter, as I'm saying, a non-circumstantial joy, a bliss that's associated just with your interconnectivity with what is. And this is what, you know, the mystics have been talking about for a long time. That's a, that's a better, a sweeter place to live than just another fancier hedonic treadmill of just like, well, if I do this season and I get this much fame, if I get this much money, it's always the next thing. It, you're never just sitting with it and being happy. You're stuck on a, on, a, on a circle going like, well, the next thing and the next thing. Will we get a next season? Will we get this star? Will we write a good script? Will I be good in the scene? Like it's, it's sort of a, it's a fool's endeavor to think that real, real deep fulfillment is going to come from doing something fancy like that. You can have that fulfillment while you're doing it, but that takes practice. That takes things that I talk about in the book. It takes mindfulness. It takes contemplation. It takes meditation. Otherwise, you get lost in it, and it'll break your heart. 
Uh, you know, a lot of people seem to think like it. comedians have to be unhappy because that's how they are funny. But you seem very happy. Do you think being happy makes it easier for you to be funny? Yeah, it's a great question because I, I do consider myself more uh, more equanimous or more content, maybe. <laughs> and, and certainly with lots of spikes of happy. And I think it comes from, again, it's a spiritual idea. A lot of, uh, in Buddhism and in Mr. Christianity and stuff, there's a lot of talk about um, saying yes to what is, basically. Mm. Forgiving reality for being how it is. is that very, Buddhism, that we, sounds very improv. It is very improv. <laughs> I mean, Richard, Richard Rohr, who I love, has a book called Yes And, and that's the first rule of improv. But it's not about improv, it's about contemplation. So, so much suffering comes from wanting this to be that, right? Mm-hmm. We, want, we want what is to be something else. I'm, I'm on my way to the airport. The flight might be delayed. And you watch a lot of people suffering because of a story they're telling themselves about what should be as opposed to saying yes to what is. Now, is it funnier to be crabby and angry <laughs> and negative and bitter and really attached and lost in the drama. Yeah. I mean, it can be. It can be hilarious. Some of my favorite comedians are up to their eyeballs in it, and it's so funny. I love it. Mm-hmm. It really makes me feel less alone. It makes me laugh. Then what I try and do, especially with my last HBO special, is I'm trying to find the humor in letting go. It's, it's a little bit mm. harder mm. and trying to, trying to find some of the humor in, in the light and, and, and in some of the wonder and some of the mystery. And, and that was a, a successful special and a great tour for me. It's just a little bit, I don't know, it's like playing jazz on the banjo or something. It's not, nece- <laughs> it's not like super necessary. It's not natural, but it is possible. Uh-huh. And it's something that, that I'm enjoying the challenge of doing it. Because I'm 40. That's, I, that's why I wanted to write the book. I, I'm just like... I've been around the track enough times. I've, I've done a lot of HBO specials. I've done a lot of Comedy Central specials. I've done a podcast. I've done TV. I'm sort of getting to the point where I'm like, I want to talk about deeper things. I want to talk about real joy, real peace, real equanimity, real compassion. And I want to talk about what we're all doing here because I think a lot of us are confused and a little bit scared and a little bit excited that we don't know what we woke up into and so most of us, like, just don't talk about it. And unfortunately, religion has become, you know, a, not a great option for a lot of people. A religion that tells you everybody that you know is going to hell, or a religion that tells you that they have the answers and no one else has the answer or any answers. I mean, th- these are exclusionary, narcissistic, ego-driven places often. And I think people are sort of yearning for a place where they can go and stretch their spiritual legs, talk about the deep questions without any fear of judgment or ugliness, or bitterness, or hatred, and, and that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to do with my comedy, because I feel like it's the only thing that, that really deeply matters um, underneath everything that I'm doing. I'd, I'd just like to infuse that in there. And so was writing a book, uh, I mean, you've, you've done so many creative uh, things. Did you feel like a book really allowed you to get to this place in the way that you wanted to? It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of, of medium. Yeah, there's something about uh, spiritual stuff and books, you know, it Mm -hmm. it is like a private conversation. You know, even as we're talking now, I'm like, so many people believe um, so many different things. It can be a tricky thing to talk about without stepping on toes or touching nerves. So there's something about a book, like I read books, especially when I was younger, I would read books that had things that I didn't necessarily agree with. 
but there was th- something about the medium itself. It was like a private conversation. You know, you're on an airplane or you're curled up on your couch and it's just like, Hey, it's just you and me. Let's just talk. It's a safe place. If you, if you ever like feel weird, you can just close it. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to like, if you met me at a, a party and I start going on about, you know, soul consciousness or this or that, maybe that would be a bit much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Pete, before we let you go, um, we ask all our guests, do you have a try this at home tip, something concrete and manageable that listeners can try at home uh, to make themselves happier? Absolutely. Um, it's in the book, but I, give it away for free as often as I can. (laughs) I really do because it's changed my life. And I really do feel like it is the summation of a lot of the core principles of Buddhism. And as I said, mystic Christianity and a lot of, a lot of traditions are basically pointing us to this and it's very basic. It's not very woo woo. And and it's even in English. So it's not like, it's not in Sanskrit (laughs) or Hebrew or anything like that. It's just, it's a mantra, which is just something that we repeat to ourselves throughout the day. And I, I discovered this. I, I made it up when I would go to see dance or go to a museum or go to a botanical garden or even I'm here at the airport. I'm going to be doing it all day here at the airport, especially when you're suffering or feeling something weird or just trying to appreciate a flower or a painting. The whole thing about... Uh, living mystically and living happier because of it is instead of thinking about the flower or thinking about the painting or thinking about uh, whatever, thinking about God, thinking about these things, making it an object of your consciousness, something you think about, instead of thinking about it, just look at it and repeat to yourself, yes, thank you. That's all you have to say. You just say, yes, thank you. So a lot of people will tell you that like spirituality is about not thinking but it's really hard to not think. So you give your brain something to think over and over that will actually sort of trick it into not thinking. So instead of just trying to be a blank slate, you say, yes, thank you. Mm. And somebody, somebody just emailed me. It made me so happy. They emailed me on Instagram. They were like, I, because of your book, I enjoyed contemporary dance for the first time. Uh-huh. I was like, that's mm. what I'm talking about. Like, you go to, you go to, like, too many of us are going to the opera or something unfamiliar like that to think about it. We're yeah. like, oh, or dance. You're like, oh, are they related? Like, how long do they practice? When is it, <laughs> when is it over? Where do they get these outfits? You know, like, we're stuck and it's robbing us of the richness of the moment. Same thing at the botanical garden. This is what I read about in the book. Like people look at flowers to compare them to other flowers that they've seen. This one's bigger than, this one's smaller than, this one's prettier. I like this one. I don't like this one. And it's robbing you of the present moment. And that's where the mystery is. That's where God is, we could say. That's where joy is. That's where peace is. So practice throughout the day, whatever you're doing, even if you don't like what's happening. Sometimes I'll be suffering and I'll say, yes, thank you. And my brain has no idea what to do with that. <laughs> it has no idea. And I'm telling you the truth. It makes the suffering uh, less. It goes away. It, it, because, like, it wants your participation. It wants you to go, damn it, this flight's supposed to this, 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 this. But if you go, oh, my flight's delayed, and you say, yes, thank you to yourself, you'll feel a spaciousness and an opening in your being that is going to make your life better. At least it's made my life better. Oh, well, what a wonderful thought. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thank you. My sincere pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a demerit. But first, this break. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, and when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Gretchen, when I started my career, therapy really helped me work through all of my stresses so that I was able to concentrate at work and do a good job. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gretchen Rubin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gretchen Rubin. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has green light. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hat chore? Mm -hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. Okay, Gretch, it is time for demerits and gold stars, and you are up this week with a happiness demerit. Yeah, I was um, I was down for breakfast one morning, and Eliza was there because she's got her internship, so she's up and about and eating breakfast. And I said a couple things to her, and they came out very crabby. Um, mm. And it was weird because, like, sometimes I'm crabby because I feel crabby, but this was odd because it was coming out very sharp, but much more sharper than I intended and even really than I felt. So it was like it was coming out in a much harsher way than my internal experience would have led mm -hmm. me to believe. And I was talking about that with Eleanor, and she was like, yeah, that happens to me sometimes. Like, I'll be talking to my friends, and it comes out meaner than it was in my head. And I thought, I need to think about that because if it's leaking out in this way, I need mm. to get control of it. Um, because why is it that it's coming out in this harsh way? Uh, My guess is there's something you're stressed about. And so it's coming out in well, your tone, even if the stress is about something completely different. But it was interesting because I didn't have the conscious experience of feeling stressed. So I was like, right. okay, then that's, I got to take it to another level because probably that is what's going on. So what is going on that yeah. I'm in denial about or turning my attention away from so that it's affecting my behavior, but without me understanding that? That feels like a demerit in like, a, like not having self-knowledge or not being connected yes. to what's going on. So I'm like, I need to like pay attention to that. Uh, if, yeah, when, I when think it, we all suffer from that. Yeah. 
Um, but so the next time it happens, I really want to like stop myself. I only sort of realize this is happening in reflection. Um, (laughs) next time it's like figure out what's happening. Like the first time the mean, the mean thing comes out of my mouth, you know, sit down and say like, what's going on here? Yeah. So that was my demerit. Something to work on. How, but your goal in progress. Yeah. Work in progress. What's your gold star? All right, Gretchen. I am giving Adam, my husband, a gold star this week um, because he we just went away for a weekend um, with Adam's family uh, for his dad's birthday. And we do this sometimes, but it's always a big thing of like finding where we're going to stay and picking a house and looking it up. And, you know, it's a big hassle. And Adam took this completely on himself. Mm. Um, one of his sisters suggested, Hey, do you want to go away for a weekend? And Adam like just went with it. And he, um, researched, he found an amazing house in Palm Springs that everybody loved super fun. And he found it, he booked it. Um, and then, you know, he just told everyone and it was just you know, it was just a big gold star because I think nobody likes doing that. Yeah. And I don't think it's like Adam's nature necessarily. He's not someone who's just constantly booking things. So for him to take those steps, I was sort of extra impressed. Um, and I had nothing. Everyone kept saying thank you to me. I'm like, for planning. I'm like, I plan nothing. Like, yeah. I had nothing to do with this. So gold star to Adam for, uh, you know, stepping up with the uh, House in Palm Springs planning. Because a lot of times you can have all the will in the world, but if somebody, if no one actually becomes the person who says, here's the time, here's the place, this is happening, it can just pass and it just never comes to be. So that's a hugely important role. It usually falls on his sisters. Uh. Um, So, um, you know, it was nice that he took it off their hands. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, gold star Adam. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Create a memory time capsule. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our guest, Pete Holmes. His memoir, Comedy Sex God, is in bookstores now. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Kraft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like this show, we say it all the time, but we really, truly mean it. Please be sure to tell a friend. Show a friend how to listen to a podcast. Tell your friend to listen. Um, and subscribe to us. And, you know, subscribe sometimes sounds like it costs money always tell people no subscribe for free (laughs) and if you rate and review us that is super super important one of the ways people tell whether something is worth their time to give it a listen is how many rates and reviews it has so that is really really helpful to us on the resources for you this week for free i have recently updated the pdf on my website that has all the happiness hacks that we've mentioned Mm. people want these hacks in a list Um, (laughs) it's updated you can download it for free at gretchenrubin.com slash resources And if you've heard about my Four Tendencies course and you are waiting for the right time to take it, um, try thinking about doing it this summer. For some reason, it sounds like people are thinking that this is like a good summer project. Um, It is designed to to take five weeks with about 20 minutes per day, five days a week, but you can do it at your own pace, but that's the way you can do it if you want to do it day by day. So it's sort of perfect for the summer. You can binge or you can go slow. You can do whatever you want. If you want to go deeper into the Four Tendencies, um, I'll post a link to the course. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.
uh, Elizabeth, um, before you got on, I was recording some of the little happiers. And Bob mm-hmm. said that some of them should be called happy mediums instead of little happiers because they're more like four minutes long. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> happy mediums. That's me. <laughs> and then if you have a really short one, it can be a happy, like, littler. Yeah, yeah. Littlest. From the Onward Project. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.